I'm guessing you all know about Gabriel. He's the angel with the horn. I think of Satchmo or... Actually, I was at a memorial service and they played taps for... um, because it was a, a, a military person. I thought that was Gabriel playing the horn. So Gabriel was one of four angels in the Jewish sacred texts that is standing at the four different corners of God's up on a throne, sitting on a throne. And Gabriel's one of those angels. And each of the angels has a purview over the four corners of the cosmos. That's their job. I didn't know they had territories, but they did. And one of the parables, one of the Jewish parables that I really love is it was Gabriel's job before each child is born to whisper into that child's ears and tell that child all of the secrets of God and all of the secrets of the cosmos. The theology that those are two separate things is interesting, but not where we're going today. And then what Gabriel does after this child has been filled with this wisdom is kisses them on the forehead, what every parent loves to do, and then the child is born. And what happens is once the child is born and they've been kissed, they begin to forget that wisdom. But it's interesting, because it's the antithesis how we've treated children. We've always assumed, well, they're these empty vessels, and our job is to fill them up. But it's not just the Jewish parable that has this notion that children, when they are born, are incredibly wise and have a lot to teach us. This thought shows up in quite a few religious writings. Um, Shows up in Islam and Hindu texts and some of the Chinese writings. And lo and behold, some of the scientific writings have begun showing how much children literally know when they are born. They are not empty slates. So it affects how we educate children and how we treat them and what we think they're capable of. You've heard me talk about my devotion to Maria Montessori and her research But what she tells all parents and teachers is your child is innately curious and ready to learn. They are already wise. They are already curious. And our job is not to pour stuff in, but to get the heck out of the way. Okay, so we're older and wiser. Here's what we can do is we can make sure their environment is safe. And we can make sure that we present to them in a a healthy way things that they might be interested in. So when they ask, where did I come from, we don't give them the whole sex lecture right away. We do something that's age-appropriate and kind of answer it on their level and make sure they have access to information appropriate for their age or make sure they have blocks or make sure they have... And some parents, I had to be taught what that looked like. But the point I want to make is 
children are already wise and we have a lot to learn from them. So once again, we are dealing with beauty this month. It's our theme. And it's pretty obvious that children are beautiful beyond compare. They just are. But that doesn't mean we always treat them with the beauty and concern and care they fully deserve. So this happens to be Children's Sabbath, that houses of worship around the world are looking at what it means to honor and for every single congregation or temple or synagogue, get that gathering of people, what does it mean for us to recommit ourselves to children? What does that mean? So I thought, well, that's a worthy thing for us to look at as Hope Church. So the Children's Sabbath is um, put together by the Children's Defense Fund, Marion Edelman Wright. But why would children need defending? I hate to breach that subject, broach that subject. Um, So I had everyone have in their hands, did everyone get a green piece of paper? Because we're going to use this. This is one of those working sermons. I'm going to make you work too. This... Uh, This is a restating, a summarizing. If you go online and I give you the link, if you read the whole document, it's a lot of legalese, and someone had kindly summarized it, and I thought, well, that's better for us and for today. If you want to know more in depth what each article says, because they do drill down and explore further what they mean. But for us, for right now, this is just perfect. So there are, this was written, um, hmm. the United States played an instrumental role in this being written and ratified, and 169 nations have signed on to this, and it has been amended. Um, You can follow all the um, wranglings and and additional, additional amendments. But the deep sorrow of this 169 countries who've signed on is we are one of a handful that has not. So we were instrumental in creating this document and pushing it out into the world, but we are reluctant to sign it. And we, there, that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, there was religious pushback about what role religion plays in the rights of a child. There was pushback from education, in particular homeschooling, kind of co-linked with religion, but whether, because there's a lot of mention of the state, the responsibility that we as a collective nation, um, civic institutions have in the care of children. And the pushback was from education and homeschoolers. And then, of course, our horrifying treatment of children in the judicial system that we were willing to um, sentence children under the age of 18 to uh, life in prison. 
and our, the way we treat children as adults in prison. So those are kind of the three main reasons that we are unwilling to sign this document. It makes me cry. It is criminal. It's appalling. But what I want us to do is consider looking at it in all the ways that we go about our work and read the newspaper. I know I've mentioned before Karl Barth, a theologian, German theologian, World War II, and he's the one who said, every minister worth their, worth their salt should have the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in another. So, since we are a community of all believers, every single one of you is a minister of your own life, working out your own theology. That's the agreement we all made by coming here today, that I may have some wisdom, but darn, I expect you to do the work and figure out if it applies to you. So you, too, have to have the newspaper in one hand. And, okay, so we're Unitarian Universalists, and we think there are six sources, so I should have a cart. (laughs) Oh, no, I have something better. So you, too, should have not only the Bible, but every single possible sacred text, (laughs) all the humanist writings, all of the biographies and actions of men and women around the world in your hand. So that's our charge. Every single one of us, we have to do both. So what I propose is that we look at this and go, hmm, how does this apply to... How many of you here cracked open the newspaper or opened your Instagram, Facebook page this morning? Okay. (laughs) And those of you who did not, mm, you may be a little healthier than we are right this moment, but I know you will later. What I want us to do is think about each of these articles and drill more deeply into those headlines and facts and focuses and go, how does this affect children? And I want you to look at that two different ways. So there's one way to look at how does this affect children, and that is imagine yourself as the child. When Joe and I got married, uh, pre-smartphone days and before everyone had a a camera, we had put on all of the um, reception tables little Some of you won't know about this. There were instant, little instant cameras you bought at the drugstore, and then you'd send it back to the drugstore, and you got pictures. So we had that for everyone at the table to take pictures. And my niece, who was 12 at the time, about this tall, took pictures. And when we got them back, I just laughed and laughed and laughed because two-thirds of the picture was the ceiling, And then someone's kind of head and chin. 
No one had a double chin because they were all taken from that Hollywood angle. So what if we imagine what it means to be a short person or one who gets carried everywhere in this world? How does that affect the headlines? That's one way to literally put yourself in what it means to be a child that is beholden to adults for care and where you go and where you don't go and how you're how you enter a room. Oh, I'll get to that later. Um, and the other is we are Unitarian Universalists who believe in the interdependent web of life. So what happens to one child necessarily has to impact parents, whether they are in that child's life or not, caregivers, persons responsible for that child, and we tend to think in silos of families. Our notion of family tends, as a culture, not to include aunts, uncles. We do talk about grandparents, friends. So if you start thinking about how does this headline affect that broader picture, it really changes what that news story might be about or what our politicians are saying to us. So on the front page of the news today was an article about um, addicts who, by the drug court system, are being put into what looks to be essentially slave labor. So how does that affect a child? So children aren't there, but I'm guessing a significant number of the people, I think they're mostly men, um, are fathers. So what do you do with a father who is now an addict but also put through this traumatic experience where all of his reality, uh, the, the experience of every slave is my reality and what I'm being told don't match, being told I'm not of value, but I sure am. They can't do this work without me. So the... Um, it just makes you question your whole reality, wears you out. They get injured. They get sent back to court. So how does that affect the child? I'm trying to remember the other headlines. That's good enough. Because what I want us to do is to take these home and to think about how each one of these, some of these are shocking to me because I go, <gasps> We don't do this. I'd love to hear which ones speak to you. I was thinking about respect of the child's views. It's number 12. The child has the right to express his or her opinion freely and to have that opinion taken into account in any manner or procedure affecting the child. And what it made me think about was test scores. So our Tulsa Public Schools have been told this week, parents, teachers, don't you worry. These test scores, they're going to be bad, but don't panic. And what they're really saying in my book is, you know, our education has not been up to national standards, and we're just now going to recognize that, and here are the test scores. And when we only measure a child's education by test score, the test has a bias, how the teacher teaches to that test. Are we really encouraging children to have opinions? 
and to express them freely. Number 13 is related. Freedom to have information. Have you looked at our textbooks lately? Did you read the letter to the editor from a math teacher who complained about the textbooks that are at least 12 years old and he has to continue putting um, masking tape to keep them together? Doesn't this child who is sitting in that classroom with a textbook that's out of date have a right to information? Oh, do I step into the hornet's nest of 24 of health and health services? I'll let you. <laughs> no, I, um, I don't mean that blithely. I think it was Joe Monroe when he did his presentation about health care that pointed out that children are no longer as tall as they used to be. Our health care is not the best in the world. And that's criminal. It's criminal. So on the back, I just brainstormed, but I want you to do the same work. First, let's imagine we are that child who is short, seeing just the ceilings. Can they reach the light switches at our church? Can they push open the doors that are heavy to open? Have you noticed how heavy our doors are and some get stuck? What are they seeing from that perspective? I've noticed some RE signs that are up at this level when really we want them to see things that needs to be down at this level. So what if you go, as we leave the sanctuary this morning, just imagine you are half your height. I've railed against this before, but all of our parking spaces are for visitors, the minister, or she deserves one, no. The minister and those who may be elderly or with disabilities. I don't know about you, but when I had children in arms, and then also, inevitably, as a parent, I'm carrying stuff because I'm involved in whatever, so I, I have bags and stuff. Why, why don't we have parking spaces for families, for those with babes in arms? That's the kind of, can we use this as a lens to look at our world and where we might be missing things? And the other is, can you use this to look through your news feed and ask a deeper question? How does our policies, how do our laws, how do what we take as normal really impact a family? I was, um, I'm grateful to this church because you allow me to go to this mental health conference uh, a week ago. It knocked my socks off. It was absolutely fabulous. Two days, and it was about mental health and injustice, put on by the Oklahoma Mental Health Association. World-class conference. And I got to hear, in Brooklyn, there is a group of public defenders who are working on the issue of women in prison, called Still She Rises. And they've had a lot of success 
by working with women and realizing they need wraparound services because a lot of the women are there because of poverty and drugs, not violence, their own or, or domestic violence upon them, and then they respond. And they started looking around and thought, okay, we're having a lot of great success. Where might we look next? And next happened to be Tulsa, Oklahoma. Women are the, as you know, the most, um, the rising fastest population of prisoners. And Oklahoma has the highest rate in the world. And are we asking enough about what that means with the children? And I'm going to tell you a little bit, because their presentation was um, devastating. They're still trying to figure out Brooklyn and Tulsa are different, and they're still trying to give um, voice and research to what it is that makes us so unique in this area. But so far, they've been here since January. They've been tracking how this affects the children, the mothers who are incarcerated. So this has nothing to do whether you think the women belong in there or um, it has to do with how we are then handling what we're doing with the families. So bad grades and whether a child is expelled doubles from before the woman is in prison to when she is in prison. Trouble with the guardian triples, five times as many run away, three times as many are arrested, five times as many are more depressed, and four times as many attempt suicide. So if you think incarcerating women is not affecting society or you or the family, you need to think again and ask more questions. So the wisdom that the child has for us, a child is an asking machine. Why? How? What? Why? Why? And darned if we aren't an association that is charged by being curious. That is our charge in life, is to keep asking questions as well. So the wisdom that children have for us is for us to keep asking, why, how, how does this affect families, how does this affect children? Because the child doesn't lose all that wisdom with Gabriel's kiss. And the gift of our brain is that we can recapture it and relearn it. So I ask that you go home and put this next to your computer or next to your phone or next to your newspaper and just look at the feed or the headlines and think about the issues of the day that might deeply impact our children in a way that's not being vocalized, and that's our job. May it be so.